number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great nation, a great day, a great week. We all hope, despite the fact that uh, leading lights in the United States, including one of the sharpest and most responsible of the Republicans in the House of Representatives, joins a general, uh, a chief of staff over at the Air Force, in uh, saying that war with China is coming. It's on the way. And uh, General Minahan even uh, provided a date as to how that would work. Uh, really? Yeah, really. I mean, first of all, uh, here is the point as re reported by the Wall Street Journal. In an Internal memo leaked to NBC News. General Michael Minahan told his troops, I hope I am wrong, but my gut tells me we will fight in 2025. The general runs the Air Mobility Command, the Air Force's tank refueling operation, and he says in his uh, memo that he wants his force to be ready to fight and win in the first island chain off the eastern coast of continental Asia. He called for taking more calculated risks in training. What is he talking about? He's talking about China attempting a military assault that we are obliged now to repel, uh, that, that happening by 2025. And uh, the general's document um, won't be remembered for subtlety, writes the Wall Street Journal. One of his suggestions is that airmen with weapons qualifications start doing target practice with unrepentant lethality. Another tells airmen to get their affairs in order. This candor seems to have alarmed higher-ups in the Pentagon, and NBC quoted an unidentified defense official as saying the general's comments are not representative of the Defense Department's view on China. But while Minahan's words may be blunt, his concern is broadly shared or ought to be. Navy Admiral Phil Davidson told Congress in 2021 that he worried China was accelerating their ambitions to supplant the United States and could strike Taiwan before 2027. General Minahan came to his post after a tour as a, uh, of duty uh, in the Indo-Pacific Command. He, like many others, suggested that 2025 may be a ripe moment for Chinese President Xi to move. Taiwan and the U.S. both have presidential elections in 2024 that China may see as moments of weakness. Uh, General Minahan is doing his troops a favor, writes the Wall Street Journal, by speaking directly about a war they may be asked to fight. A recent war game concluded by the Center for Strategic and International Studies warned that in a conflict over Taiwan, the scale of casualties would, quote, stagger a U.S. military that has dominated battlefields for a generation. General Minahan's boom operators are accustomed to working in skies the U.S. controls. Tankers would be essential in a fight for Taiwan given the vast distances over the Pacific and would be vulnerable to heavy losses. Former naval officer Seth Cropsey explained last week 
that America isn't investing in the ships and weapons stockpiles that would be required to support a long war in the Western Pacific. Such yawning gaps in U.S. preparedness make a decision by Beijing to invade or blockade the Democratic Island more likely. Preventing a war for Taiwan requires showing Beijing that the U.S. has the means and the will to fight and repel an invasion. We're going to be speaking with Gordon Chang about his take on this idea of a war that would occur right after the election and maybe even be aimed at the presidential transition, whoever is involved during the presidential transition. And Representative Michael McCall, who I admire, I think he is a, a smart, capable Republican leader in Congress, he, um, he was on uh, speaking very directly with Fox about General Minahan's comments, and he had this to say. Citing a memo to his officers with this quote, they say, I hope I am wrong, he says to them. My gut tells me we'll fight in 2025. Now, that's being met with a lot of different reactions and skepticism. This is attributed to the opinion of one man. What do you make of that, and, and, and how do you think that's going to be received in China? Well, I, thought, I hope he's wrong as well. I think he's right, though, uh, unfortunately. I mean, China's mounting... Wait, an actual war? Well, I, I think China's looking at uni reunification of Taiwan, right? That's how they call it. Uh, there are several ways to do that. The first one is to uh, influence the election that will take place a year from today. Uh, present size party uh, is running for re-election. China is hitting them hard, saying they're a proxy of the United States to go to war with China. Uh, if they succeed in that effort, like Hong Kong, without a shot fired, but if they don't win in that one, they are going to look at a military invasion, in my judgment. We have to be prepared for this. Um, and it could happen... I think as long as Biden is in office <clears throat> projecting weakness, as he did with Afghanistan that led to Putin invading uh, in Ukraine, uh, that the odds are very high we could see a conflict uh, with China and Taiwan and the Indo-Pacific. Okay, uh, the idea of projecting strength, this is one of the reasons that Congressman McCall, uh, who is a Republican from Texas, uh, really does need to sit down with Kevin McCarthy because Kevin McCarthy has said uh, he said on the weekend shows that he wants to sit down with President Biden good idea and work out some kind of agreement that can allow the US to raise the debt ceiling but McCarthy is talking about still insisting on spending cuts including cuts in defense he said defense is not off the table defense should be off the table in the midst of an absolutely crucial war in Ukraine that would be an unspeakable disaster for America and the whole world if we actually allowed uh, the Russians and Putin to win that war with a prospect that is very real and very serious and shouldn't be dismissed as nonsense, a prospect of a, a war necessary to sustain the existence of Taiwan which is not only necessary for the preservation of freedom, it's necessary for the preservation of prosperity. Because when you look at Taiwan's role in the world economy and the production of chips and everything else to uh, basically say we have no interest or no obligation there, 
And this, again, after President Biden has been pretty clear, he's repeated on a half dozen occasions now, that he thought that we were obliged to defend uh, Taiwan. Uh, General uh, Minahan said a fortified, ready, integrated, and agile joint force maneuver team must be ready to fight and win inside the first island chain. And that is uh, one of those things that even if the general is wrong, even if Congressman McCall is wrong, as he hopes that he is, and we should all hope that he is, and that there is no war with China, the best way to make sure that that happens is the old idea, which used to be a Republican idea of peace through strength. It's not by saying that uh, when you're uh, getting ready to make necessary spending cuts that um, the first thing you're going to look at cutting, which is true for some Republicans and for some Democrats, the first thing you're going to look at cutting is the Department of Defense. Uh, speaking of the dangerous world in which we live, there was just a mosque explosion that left at least 61 dead and 157 injured. Where? Uh, we will get to that and more coming up on The Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. Outrageous. Now's... Michael Medved Show. Michael, you are the best. And on the Michael Medved Show, there was a suicide bomber who did his deadly work at Peshawar, Pakistan, and uh, basically in a very large compound that um, that uh, trains and and uh, headquarters police in Peshawar. They have a mosque inside the compound, and uh, the suicide bomber wreaked a deadly toll. The, the latest, and there may be more, is 61 dead, 157 injured. Here is the report from CNN. They see they put out a statement a couple of hours ago. It's actually a faction of the Pakistani Taliban that have said that the reason behind this attack was because one of their founders uh, was killed by the Pakistan state last year. Now, we have not received any confirmation by Pakistani authorities uh, confirming that it is, in fact, the Pakistani Taliban who are behind this suicide attack. It took place during afternoon prayers. Uh, quite a few hours ago, more than 10 hours ago uh, from now here, local time. And we do know that when the blast took place, uh, the entire ceiling of the mosque fell in. And a lot of people are still stuck in the rubble uh, of that blast, of that explosion that took place. So rescue efforts are still underway in the northwestern city of Peshawar. Now, the Pakistani Taliban have increased their attacks uh, in the north of this country, across Pakistan, really, ever since a ceasefire between that militant group and the Pakistani state uh, and the military fell apart uh, in November of last year. There was an attempted attack uh, at state uh, buildings, at government buildings in the capital 
of Islamabad towards the end of December. The country has been on high alert. So all of the major cities uh, of Pakistan have seen army check posts, have seen paramilitary troops kind of, you know, uh, patrolling the streets uh, of these cities. There is a heightened sense of security. And a lot of families are burying their dead tonight. Bashar, there's no strange. Okay, a lot of families is right with 61 dead, 157 injured. And again, there will be more. This is a nuclear power. This is a very significant country to us. And again, this is one of those many, many reminders of what a disastrous move it was when President Biden decided basically to abandon Afghanistan to the Afghan Taliban. And I know these are different branches of the same Taliban idea. The term Taliban means basically religious student or religious scholar. And the idea of incorporating uh, religious ideas with murder, the idea that this suicide bomber who did this cruelty uh, did this horror, uh, that, that he will be rewarded in heaven by going up to the big bordello in the sky with uh, 72 virgins or whatever the, the corner of belief, the belief that you get honored for murder and praised for it. Uh, this is actually maybe a little bit closer to home for Americans uh, than, than Pakistan. As a uh, grieving... Israeli families sat Shiva on Sunday for seven civilians killed leaving synagogue services over the weekend in, in Jerusalem. The family of their Palestinian killer felt a different emotion. Pride, reports the New York Times. He's a legend and a hero, said the killer's father, Musa Al-Kam, 48. Uh, his son, Kari Al-Khan, Al uh, was killed after waging Friday's attack outside a synagogue. He was in a car originally and, and firing at worshippers as they were leaving the services. Uh, he was asked by the New York Times, the father of the dead terrorist, how, what does he feel about the people his son killed and about his son himself. He says, I raised him well. An unbelievable thing. And where you talk about differences in various religious traditions, um, the um, Majid Dandis, who is 31, who was a neighbor and a friend of the al Qam family, said when Palestinians are being killed daily, they see any attack that kills Israelis as something that redeems their dignity. Naturally, people are happy, uh, Mr. Dandis said, of Kari Al-Qam's attack outside the synagogue. All of Palestinian society is happy, not just this neighborhood. Video posted online on Friday showed Palestinians in parts of the West Bank and Gaza cheering the news of the attack, distributing sweets in celebration, and setting off fireworks. There was one 14-year-old boy who was killed uh, in 
this attack, there was a married couple who had come out to help the bleeding people on the street on Shabbat. They were both killed. And, uh, and there were several elderly people. The Jewish tradition is that uh, uh, people are, are buried almost immediately or as soon as possible and within 24 hours of, uh, of death. A few yards from the home of the 13-year-old, this is another shooting, it's a 13-year-old who made an attack. He shot two other people. The 13-year-old is still alive, so are the two people he shot. A few yards from the house, the 13-year-old arrested in the Saturday attack stand the ruins of another building. It was once the home of his aunt. The authorities destroyed it several years ago because it lacked a permit, the family said. The Alcom family home a few miles away is likely to be the next to go. On Sunday, it was sealed shut by Israeli security officials, forcing Mr. Alcom to sleep with relatives and is expected to be demolished in the coming weeks. Mr. Alcom maintained it was a price worth paying. Even if I have to sleep outside, I don't care, he said. As long as my son fulfilled his duty to die, uh, I don't care. And uh, again, the idea of honoring a 13-year-old who shoots at people murderously, uh, the policy of the Israeli government is to make sure there are consequences for family members who encourage uh, these murderous attitudes, and partially that is to balance what had been the practice of the Palestinian Authority for many years, which is to pay families of dead suicidal terrorists and to pay them thousands of dollars, uh, and in some cases pay them based upon how many Israelis they are actually were able to kill. Uh, the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, is over in Israel right now and hoping to calm the waters. And certainly, I hope he succeeds. We will be right back on the Medved Show. It is outrageous what you are saying. Michael Medved. This is outrageous. Michael Medved show, uh, we had uh, promoed, we had uh, promoted for today and for this week a, uh, an interesting piece that was put together by a group called studyfinds.org. Uh, and uh, they basically collate uh, various research from other places and come up with their own list that takes into account uh, a lot of the research that's been done originally by others. And they have a, a new piece on the best countries in the world. And don't worry, this is not a uh, piece that goes on and on and on. It's the five best countries in the world. And there was one particular surprise that I thought was noteworthy here. Actually, a couple of surprises. The, so where exactly are people going when they move out of the United States, they, uh, they ask. 
and again, we've we've covered before. There were particularly uh, after COVID nineteen a uh, a great many Americans who said they meant to expatriate, but become uh, a people who left the United States and found a new home elsewhere. The question is, given the fact that we covered a Gallup poll last week that showed that the great uh, plurality of people in the world who would like to live somewhere else, one out of five of all people in the world who want to live somewhere else, want to live right here. They want to come to the United States. So where do Americans choose to go? Uh, most respondents, they write, now feel they have the freedom to travel, live, and work wherever they want due to remote work. If you work remotely and are considering moving to a new country, you'll do extensive research before making such a drastic move. So where exactly are people going when they move out of the United States? According to a 2022 study by Herea Helper, the top countries Americans have been moving to lately are Mexico, number one, the UK, number two, Canada, and Australia. Portugal is one of the main countries that saw a significant jump in citizens from the U.S. relocating there. No matter where you're considering settling, there are many factors and logistics to consider they write before choosing the best country in the world to live in. Education, health care, politics, and other public institutions are usually factored in. Study finds as research some of the best countries in the world, whether you're planning to live there permanently or just stay for a while. We created our list based on the top recommendations across 10 expert websites. Okay, so what's number one? Number one, and it should be no surprise to anybody, is Switzerland. Switzerland is a small country in Central Europe known for being one of the wealthiest and most scenic countries in the world. And if you've never been to Switzerland, you should go before you die. I mean, really, it is a spectacular country. Their economy is one of the best. Switzerland has low unemployment, a skilled labor force, and one of the highest gross domestic products per capita in the world, according to the CIA World Factbook, writes U.S. News. Uh, the people in Switzerland enjoy impressive health, including long life expectancies, 86 years for females. Uh, Denmark is number two. And, of course, you know there are going to be Scandinavian nations here. This is the surprise to me. They uh, not only give you Denmark as number two, but number three is Japan. Uh, Japan is a land of thriving industry from agriculture to technology like robotics. English-speaking teachers are also highly in demand. Japan is also in the top ten best countries for cultural influence, entrepreneurship, power, up-and-coming economies, most forward-looking, most influential, green living education, that all written by CNBC. One of the things about Japan is family stability, uh, low rates of children born outside of marriage. The overwhelming majority of people in Japan are born inside of matrimony and uh, very low divorce rate. I mean, again, uh, much lower than any of the nations in Europe. 
Uh, Norway is number four. Uh, Norway is also high on the list of overall citizen happiness. Both health care and education are also free here, and even unskilled work pays enough to live off of. Norway is a t uh, near the top of this year's ranking for several reasons, says visual capitalist for starters. It achieved the highest score in the health category largely because of its high average life expectancy, which is uh, nine years longer than the global average. It's 83 years old. The, um, finally, they, they list Germany. And in Germany, you have the option of living a stable life in the city or the country while being supported by excellent public health and education systems. One main advantage of Germany is the high level of education. The world's ranking of the 500 best universities in the world includes 47 German universities, writes Immigrant Invest. I, I would imagine it includes even more uh, of the United States because the shorter list when they do the 25 best or the 50 best universities in the world, the United States is, is dominant. And um, the... The other thing about uh, Germany, and and again, I uh, I had the opportunity. It was what, uh, just a couple of years ago, just before the pandemic, uh, we um, uh, we we stopped in Germany. We were coming back from uh, from Israel, and my wife and I uh, stopped in Germany and then took a side trip of. Uh, for a night uh, to my mother's hometown. She was born in Germany. They moved from Bad Homburg, Germany, which is near Frankfurt, when my mom was nine years old. And it was, um, and my mother always looked on it back, oh, it was beautiful there. It, it is beautiful there. It's um, the parks and the old buildings, and you think about the monstrous suffering of uh, the German people and the monstrous suffering, suffering the German people imposed on the rest of the world and on their own people, particularly uh, under the Hitler regime. And to see uh, a country that has come back in that way, and the same is true of Japan as well, isn't it striking that the two of the uh, best countries that are recommended on this little list, this little analysis, that are the best places for America to, Americans to go and relocate, uh, that they include both Germany and Japan, which were such nightmarish regimes just, uh, uh, just two generations ago. It's, uh, it's an astonishing thing. And well, it's one of those things about if you look at the United States of America, no country never ever in history has been such a blessing to the enemies we've defeated. And uh, again, uh, Germany would have been a communist hellhole like East Germany if it had not been for the United States and for the determination of President Truman to protect Germany. And Japan coming back from a devastating war, unless it had adapted American ideas and customs. And yes, they even love baseball. They loved baseball before the war, too. Babe Ruth toured there. Um, it's one of those things of which Americans should be 
very proud. We will be right back on the MedVet Show. Your outlet for outrage. Where's the outrage? I, I'm shook up, and you know what's going to happen? I'm going to be driving down the road listening to all this. I'm going to wreck the car and sue Michael Medved. Okay, don't sue and don't wreck the car. The Michael Medved Show. Okay, it's winter time, and that shouldn't stop... The Michael Medved Show. And some good news today. Speak about outrageous for George Santos. Uh, no, he didn't win the Nobel Prize. Uh, he didn't win the Pulitzer Prize. He wasn't nominated for an Oscar, though it was so close for all of those things. Uh, he got good news, believe it or not, uh, from the Justice Department. Uh, the Washington Post reports the Justice Department has asked the Federal Election Commission to hold off on any enforcement action against Representative uh, George Santos. Prosecutors need to conduct a parallel criminal probe, the Justice Department announced. The request, which came from the Justice Department's public integrity section, is the clearest sign to date that federal prosecutors are examining Santos's campaign finances. The request also asks that the FEC provide any relevant documents to the Justice Department. I mean, part of what has uh, come up here has been the expenses that uh, uh, Santos submitted to his own campaign. And uh, again, this is one of those things that is so terrible about all of the money that floats around, even congressional campaigns, senatorial campaigns, particularly presidential campaigns. And people can live very, you'll pardon the expression, high on the hog. And because George Santos is just Jew-ish, as you'll remember he says, um, I guess he would be high on a hog. Uh, but... Um, Okay, uh, Politico reports the improbability of George Santos's $199.99 uh, expense forms. The vast majority of congressional campaigns never recorded a single disbursement of $199.99, which is just one penny below the level requiring preservation of receipts. Uh, Santos, who admitted in December that he faked parts of his biography, already faces a complaint filed with the Federal Election Commission alleging his campaign repeatedly reported suspicious expenses. These included eight charges of exactly $199.99 at an Italian restaurant in Queens and another $199.99 charge at a Miami-area hotel where rooms do not usually go for less than 600 a night. The uh, specific amount matters because campaigns are required by law to keep receipts or invoices for expenses greater than $200. Um, there's also this. President Trump was saying that uh, he could have uh, avoided war with Putin just by the force of his personality. And uh, now his former colleague, uh, 
Boris Johnson on the BBC uh, talked about his own uh, colorful relationship with Putin. Uh, listen, clip two. He said, Boris, you, you say that uh, Ukraine is, is not going to join NATO anytime soon. He said it in English, anytime soon. What is anytime soon? And I said, well, it, it, it's not going to join NATO for the foreseeable future. You know that perfectly well. It, it, it fundamentally, it wasn't about, you know, he, he sort of, he threatened me at one point and said, you know, uh, Boris, I don't want to hurt you, but uh, with a missile, it would only take a minute or something like that, you know. Uh, you know jolly. Uh, but I think from the, the very relaxed tone that he was taking, uh, the sort of air of detachment that he seemed to have. He was just playing along uh, with my attempts to get him to negotiate. Uh, yeah, it, it didn't, didn't work out that well for, for Boris Johnson or uh, for, for any, anybody else who has tried to get uh, Vladimir Putin to negotiate. Uh, there is also a um, a viral video of a, uh, a a white woman on TikTok. Where else? Who says that the real killers of uh, Tyree Nichols were not the now six cops who've been implicated, five cops who've been arrested and indicted, one who has just been. Uh, discharged from his duties in the police department still being investigated that we heard today so who really is responsible for this tragic event the death of Kyrie Tyree Nichols uh, listen clip 14. I got a message today for some white people if we have white people listening paying attention I wouldn't mind if you would do this with me we rub our chests we find our heartbeat and we say we did this we did this. White supremacy did this. I'm talking about Tyree Nichols. The police didn't do this. The Memphis Police Department didn't do this. White supremacy did this. Okay. The, the idea about this is like so many people on the left it's uh, the denial of any individual responsibility. Uh, the, the cops were not trapped in a system of white supremacy. They made decisions, conscious decisions, and incredibly reckless decisions, given the fact that they even turned their body cameras on and knew that the whole thing was being recorded. Smile, you're on candid camera. Smile, you're, you're making a video that is going to ruin your life. Ruin your life. Because you're choosing that it's more personally important. But the idea that the, the black cops who appear not to have had records, one of them uh, was a prison guard previously, he denied a charge that he had beaten up one of his, uh, the people that was a prisoner during his time there. But that's even denied and he was never charged. And the, the idea that this is blamed on a system 
or a a, a value or a, a a core prejudice rather than the evil decision of men who went the wrong way at a at crucial moment of decision. It's very sad. Uh, speaking of very sad, you'd think that a movie written by Jonah Hill, starring Jonah Hill, that features Eddie Murphy and uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and others would be a bundle of laughs, right? The movie is called You People. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. A Jewish goofball played by Jonah Hill wants to marry his black girlfriend, but he has to deal with some reservations from his mother, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and his prospective father-in-law, Eddie Murphy, in You People, now streaming on Netflix. So you want to marry my daughter? Yes. Yes, I do. Well, Ezra, you can try. We've built a pretty awesome life together. We just need to protect it. Well, they don't protect the audience from groan-inducing ethnic stereotypes where the conflict of cultures is supposed to be intensified by the fact that the Eddie Murphy character is a nation of Islam big shot and follower of Louis Farrakhan. There's no romantic chemistry between the two leads and prodigious use of the N-word by all characters isn't so much provocative as adolescent and offensive. Rated R for language and sex references one and a half stars for you people and uh you people not not for you <laughs> and and again particularly at a uh, a moment when people are looking because of the tyree nichols thing uh, very seriously at uh some of the difficulties in america's past and some of the progress that we've made in america's uh present and future. Uh, this is uh, not a, a film that carries any uplifting message or joy. Uh, meanwhile, we hope to cover some joyful developments next time on The Medved Show. Uh, we will be talking about the Super Bowl a little bit. We know who's going to be playing and we also know what the most controversial ads are going to be. In fact, they've shown them in advance. There's a series of ads that are remarkable about Jesus. Uh, we'll also be speaking with Heather McDonald. She wrote the book, The War on Cops, at a time when cops are being accused of making war against civilization itself. And people are asked, what's the number one problem in this country? Their answer actually echoes something Ronald Reagan said a long time ago in this greatest nation on God's green earth.